Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. First Peter. So, quick recap of chapter one. Headline: Elect exiles. So that's that's who we are. Peter's writing to congregations who are um, being persecuted. We're not, but that label still applies. We're chosen. We're selected by God, but we're living in a world that's not our home. We're temporary residents or strangers, sojourners in this world. And, and that, that can, there, there's a little bit of tension there, but I think they, they complement one another. When you think about being elect, it speaks to care, it speaks to concern. And when you think about being in exile, you know, like you're, you're going to rub against some things living your life here in Marietta. And you just need to be aware of that. Both of those things are true. And then we looked at, well, what has God done for us? God has given, he's, he's given us this new birth into a living hope. So a confident expectation of a better future that can't be extinguished and into a permanent and secure inheritance. So if you're being persecuted, both of those things are super encouraging. So you may take everything away from me, but you can't take away this this inheritance that God has prepared for me. It doesn't wilt, it doesn't fade, it doesn't rot, and it can't be stolen. My salvation is secure. If you're living in a world where you're being pressed from the outside to know my, my hope, my expectation of the future, it's rooted in, in who God is and what he's promised, not based on what's going on in my circumstances. Very encouraging. And then Peter says, and here's how you respond. You greatly rejoice, even though you're suffering through various trials right now. You greatly rejoice in that. You can be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Live this life, live on this, in this planet, in this, where, where you are. Live in reverent fear, in, in holy awe, great respect for God. And then love each other deeply, fervently, earnestly. And that's where we're going to pick up. That's where chapter 2 picks up with this idea, what does it look like to love each other deeply? We'll read the first 10 verses. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you've come to Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter's saying, hey, but because of this new birth, you've been brought into a new reality. So take off the old clothes. That's what it means, rid yourself. It's like taking off dirty clothes. Take those things off. We're, we're dealing with each other, relating to each other in a new way. So first thing is you deal with your heart. You live out of your heart. Very difficult. A lot of times our tendency is to go after behaviors 
to try to change behavior and that works temporarily, but it's not great long-term because we live out of our hearts. Malice is, it's ill will towards another. It's a heart posture. Deal with that. And then these are some behaviors that flow out of that ill will. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. The definitions are behind me, but you know what all those things mean. He's saying you're gonna treat each other that way because you have, again, this ill will in your heart towards other people. But we wanna get rid of all of that. You've been squeezed before, just minimal. Like you can think about if you've had a bad day at work. Sometimes when you come home, you're a little bit grouchy. And this is that magnified. They're, they're being persecuted, most likely by the government that's ruling their area. And so everything they do, not necessarily every day, but there's always that sense of dread, that, that threat. And then at times there's gonna be outright persecution. They're being squeezed. Try, trying to work is creating pressure. Trying to go to the store and get food, that creates pressure. Everything, there's, there's just this, kind of looming sense of, of dread and what, what's gonna happen. And that can deplete you on the inside and that can cause you to get really snippy with other people. Peter at this point hadn't said one thing about the guys who are persecuting them, not one. What he said is, this is who you are, you're elect exiles. This is what God has done for you. He's brought you into a new birth, living hope, secure and permanent inheritance. Here's how you need to respond to what God has done for you. You rejoice greatly, you be holy, you live in reverent fear and you love one another deeply. And here are the things that are gonna undermine loving each other deeply. If you're harboring malice in your heart towards somebody else, the pressure of this persecution, it's gonna cause you to treat each other bad. It's gonna fray the relationships within the body. You're gonna be deceitful, you're gonna be slanderous, you're gonna be envious, you're gonna be hypocritical. Rather than all that, like a baby, grow, like grow up. Crave, deeply desire. Pure spiritual milk. That's the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of what it means to follow him. And just like if a baby is nourished on good food, that baby is gonna grow, so for us. He's not criticizing them, calling them babies. He's not saying they're immature. He's saying like a baby desires pure spirit, it, it, milk, you desire pure spiritual milk as well. And that, that's gonna cause you to grow. When we think about that for us, we can think about the, the Bible. That, that's the way that we access this pure spiritual milk. It's the, the clearest revelation of who God is, is through his word. As a church, we're reading through the Bible in a year. If that's something that, that you have not yet engaged with, I'd encourage you to do so. We'll send out some things this week that'll help you kind of jump on. You don't, you don't have to try to make up the time. You, if you're six or seven weeks in, whatever we are, you don't have to try to figure out how do I rush. Just jump in. Some is better than none. My plan right now, I'm in Leviticus, which is where Bible reading plans go to die. And so I'm just gonna <laughs> get through it as fast as I can. And so if, if that's you, if you've hit a wall or you kind of fell off the wagon, just get back on. Again, some is better than none. Nobody's grading you. Nobody is. But again, that the way we ingest this pure spiritual milk, a primary way, is through reading the Bible. And the, those plans, there, there's nothing magic about them. You can pick your own, but it's just something that we're doing together. But there's more. He says, because you've tasted that the Lord is good. There's an experiential element to our relationship with God that sometimes we can lose sight of. It's not an intellectual pursuit following Jesus. 
It's, it's relational and experiential. Taste, experience that the Lord is good. He's saying, y'all know that. Again, if you can put yourself in a position where you're being squeezed, pressured, suffering because of your faith, if all you have are some ideas about God, that's probably not enough to keep you faithful. You're probably gonna throw in the towel. But if you have a personal testimony, I've experienced the goodness of God in my own life. I can look back and I can see these milestones. I can look back in the the Old Testament when God did something, a lot of times he said, set up a pile of rocks there and that'll help you remember what I did. We need piles of rocks that we can look back and say, that's what God did in my life. I experienced him. And so when I'm going through a difficult time, when I'm confused, when I'm frustrated, when it seems dark, I can look back and say, I know he's good because I've experienced it. I haven't just heard somebody tell me that. I know it. And everybody, that's for everybody, not just super spiritual people. All of us can experience his goodness. That's one of the reasons we do worship the way we do worship is we want to create an environment as much as we can. It's not It's not completely up to us, but we want to create an environment where you can kind of relax a little bit and hopefully hear God and sense his nearness to you. In the weeks that you don't, he's still worthy of your worship. But we want to create a space where you can, again, taste from Psalm 34, 8 and see that he's good. For those who, maybe specifically to some of you parents in the room, as you're thinking about how you're investing and discipling your kids, sometimes we can focus a lot on kind of the, we're gonna get the word into you. We want you to know certain things and that's good, but we also want them to have an experience with God and preferably more than one, that they have a testimony by the time they graduate of his, own, of his goodness, that they're not just saying, I believe this stuff because my mom and dad told me or because I learned it in Stonebridge Kids or Jeremy taught me, but I've experienced him. And so that, I would encourage you as you're doing the other things that you're doing, pray that. Pray for God to reveal himself to your kids in a way that they would understand, that they would have their own sense of his goodness. Those of you who have people in your life that you love and you're giving them the books and giving them the podcasts and trying to come up with the arguments to convince them that Christianity is real or that Jesus loves them, like that, great, do all that. And pray that they would have an experience with God that he would meet them and that they would meet him and know his goodness, that it, there's, there's something there. And then Peter moves on from growing up to being built up. He changes the picture from a baby to a building. And he gives these labels for Jesus and then he gives these labels for those who are following him. And we'll look at both of those things just in that way. The labels for Jesus, he says he's a living stone, And then he's either a cornerstone or he's a stumbling stone. He's always the living stone. That's who he is. He's not dead. When you think of a stone, you think of inanimate. And he said, no, not him. His resurrection is a historical reality. He's still alive. Earlier we saw in chapter one, you've never seen him, but he's alive. You you don't see him now, but he's alive. And that Peter's reminding them. this, This one that you're following is still active and alive. He's not just a historical figure in the past. The resurrection is real. And so he is a living stone. He's been rejected by humans. And that picture of Mason who picks up a, a block 
and he inspects it and he looks at it and then he says, you know what? This isn't the one that I need and he tosses it. That's what Peter is saying. That's the word reject. People have examined, investigated Jesus and they've said, he, he, he doesn't suit my purpose. He doesn't fit in with what I'm doing. And so I'm gonna reject him. I'm gonna toss him aside and kind of do my own thing. And he contrasts that with the way the father sees Jesus. He's chosen, that's a word we've talked about already before, and he's precious. Don't think precious cute, how we tend to use it. Think precious valuable. Someone who's esteemed because of their great worth. The opposite of being rejected. Humans reject him. They look at Jesus and say, you don't suit my purpose, and they toss him aside. The father looks at him and says, you're of incredible worth and incredible value. That's what he says about him. He's this living stone. And then there's a choice. Jesus is who he is. And for some people, that becomes a cornerstone. And for some people, it become, he becomes a stumbling stone. And really, the, the difference is just in our response to him. He is who he is. Again, he, he's not changing. If we accept him, then he's the cornerstone, the most important stone. The cornerstone was the first block laid in the foundation and all the other blocks were aligned to it. The cornerstone, again, it's the most important. And to those who accept Jesus, well, then they're accepted by the Father. He becomes the cornerstone of their life. But to those who reject him and reject his message, he becomes a stumbling stone. He causes them to fall. Don't think about like if you, this has happened to you, you've been walking or running and someone has stuck out their leg to trip you. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not intentionally trying to make you fall. You have never done this because you're too graceful, but you've seen people trip over a curb before. And then you look around and you're like, what? The, the curb didn't do anything. It didn't reach out its hand. It didn't suddenly get taller. You just tripped. It's, that's what it is. He's just, he's the stone, he's the living stone. He, he's, he's there. And at some point, our lives direct us towards him. And in those moments, we either accept him and he becomes our cornerstone or we reject him and he becomes a stumbling stone. We trip over him. He's not trying to make anybody fall. He's just there. His death and his resurrection, those are historical realities that we all have to deal with. We have to grapple with the implications that he died and that he rose again three days later. That means something. That's not normal. People die all the time. But they don't come back to life three days later. And they certainly don't tell you before they die that they're gonna come back three days later. That doesn't happen. We've gotta deal with those facts. And again, we either embrace them and Jesus becomes the foundation block in our life or we reject them and he becomes the one that we trip over. We reject him and ultimately we're, we're rejected by the Father. It's not a threat, it's just, it's just the reality of not, of, that's what happens. If we toss him aside, that, that's what happens when we reject him. And then Peter gives this list of titles, for lack of a better word, labels for us. I think it's, he's taking that word from elect exiles. He's taking elect and he's giving us some bullet points underneath it. Starting in verse 11, we'll see next week, he takes exiles and he starts giving some things underneath that. This he's just a, a few things about elect. These titles are all taken from the Old Testament. They were applied to Israel and now they're being applied to the church. 
And there's a lot of overlap. I'm separating them just for the sake of clarity, but there's tons of overlap and there's not really, it doesn't do you a lot of good to see them separate. These things are all true of us corporately as the body of Christ. He says, Jesus is the living stone. And so so are y'all. As you come to him, then you become living stones and you're being built into a spiritual house. He's talking about the temple. The temple hasn't been destroyed yet. It will be in a few years, but at this point when Peter's writing, it's still there. And that's what he's thinking about. There's this building in Jerusalem and that's where God said to live. That's not the case anymore. He's now living among his people. Paul says that about us individually. We're like many temples of the Holy Spirit. But when we gather together corporately, the Holy Spirit dwells among us. We're we're the temple now. And that's what Peter says. Y'all, Jesus is building us together to be a place where he can live. And then we're not just the builders of the temple. We're the workers in the temple. We're a holy priesthood. Priests had multiple functions, but two of the main things they did were they offered sacrifices, which is a way of leading in worship. And they were, they were mediators between God and the people. They served as kind of a go-between. The people weren't allowed to approach God. Again, he said to live in this one room in the temple, the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go in that room once a year. But then there was a holy place and some other people, some priests were allowed to go in there. And there was a place where men could go and a place where women could go and a place where Gentiles could go. The priests were the mediators. They could get the closest to God and represent the people to God in those holy places and then come out and represent God to the people. Those are two primary functions. I told you I was reading Leviticus and one of the things that can make our eyes glaze over when we read it is there's, it's the detail, it's almost mind numbing. Here, if, if you wanna make an offering, here's what you do. You offer a bull, or if you don't have as much money, you offer a sheep or a goat, or if you don't have enough those, you offer a pigeon, and this is what it needs to look like, and this is what you bring, and this is how old it is, and here's how you kill it, and here's where you put it on the altar. If you're bringing a grain offering, it's this much grain mixed with this much olive oil, and here's where you bring it, and here's where you put it on the altar, and here's what you do with it, and here's who can touch it, and here's who can eat it. And for we just, we lose, it's again, kind of mind-numbing to us. We look at all that and there's a part of us, I think in a a good way goes, man, I'm glad I'm I'm not there anymore. I'm glad we can all just boldly approach the throne of grace. I'm glad that Jesus has done away with those sacrifices as the perfect sacrifice. But when I was reading them yesterday, I thought, you know what? This is God, he's he's, he's extending his hand. He's making an offer. He's saying, you guys are gonna sin. At the beginning of Leviticus, most of this, so far, everyone I've read, it's for sins that are unintentional. You didn't even know you did it. And God's making a way for us to be right with him. And he's spelling it out in this, what appears to be excruciating detail. And what I hear behind that is, I want you to get it, like, I want you to offer a sacrifice that's acceptable to me. And I'm gonna tell you what that is. You don't have to guess. You don't have to read my mind. I want us to be reconciled. You're gonna sin, you're gonna blow it, and here's what you do when, you, when that happens. You bring this animal, and it looks like this, and it's this old, and this is what you do with that animal. Here's how you kill it, and here's what parts are for you, and here's what parts are burned, and here's what parts are for the priests. And if you don't have that, then you can have this animal. If you don't have that, then you can have this. And if you don't have that, he's, he's laying it out for them. Here, I want you to be reconciled to me. 
And the priests had the privilege of enacting that for the people when they sacrificed these animals. And he's calling us a holy priesthood. Jesus is a mediator between God and people. It's not us. But through prayer, intercession and mediation are synonyms. Through prayer, when we intercede for others, we are bringing them to God. You can think about the paralytic's friends. They put him on a mat and take him to Jesus because he can't get there on his own. That's why we do prayer up here. Let these guys get you to Jesus, particularly in those times where it's hard for you to get there on your own. People who you know and love who don't know him, they're not calling out to him. You can bring them before the Lord with your prayers. We offer ourselves. We don't offer animals anymore. We are a living sacrifice, Romans 12. It's not, we don't have to get all of the regulations right for sacrificing an animal. Jesus did that. His death covers all of that offers forgiveness for all of our sins. What we do is we then in gratitude offer ourselves as a spiritual sacrifice. That's that's our worship before him. We're priests, we're still leading in worship. It just looks a little bit different. Instead of sacrificing animals, we're pouring ourselves out, Paul says, like a drink offering to the Lord on behalf of other people. that's, That's part of our reality. We're the temple and God dwells among us and we're priests and we do that work of leading in worship and making, being mediators in terms of intercession. And then all these other Old Testament terms, he says you're a chosen people. We've talked about that already. And I think you can maybe look at these relationally and in terms of purpose. And he says, you're God's special possession. You're uniquely his. You weren't a people. He's talking to Gentiles. Y'all were outcasts and now you are his people because you've accepted Jesus as your cornerstone. You had not received mercy, and now you have. You're not being treated based on what your, what your sins deserve. You're, you're being shown care and concern. That's, that's grace, what we don't deserve. Functionally, he's saying, you're a royal priesthood. You're connected to the king. You can approach him. You're a holy nation. You've been set apart from the world and set apart for God. Sometimes when we think holiness, we think rules of behavior. We think, well, we're holy because we don't cuss. It's not true. You don't cuss because you're holy. Our holiness is determined by the fact that God has set us apart. It's our set apartness that makes us holy. And then behaviors flow out of that. Our behaviors are not the things that make us holy. That's backwards. The behaviors are the fruit. It's like we're talking about with that bad fruit, with malice. We need to deal with our heart. If I don't have ill will towards you, then I'm not gonna be envious of you. I'm not gonna slander you. I'm not gonna lie to you. If I have ill will towards you, even if I don't do those things, I'm gonna do something else that's equally unloving. Let me start with my heart. And the same thing is true with this. If I recognize I've been set apart by the Lord, then those behaviors flow out of that identity, out of that reality. Those behaviors don't determine it. So here's my question as we close. Is Jesus your cornerstone or your stumbling stone? Which of those two? Some of you in the room, you, you may be still examining him. You're investigating. You're trying to see how does he fit into your life? And I will just be very honest. He doesn't. What he says 
You come to me and I'll fit your life into mine. Don't try to fit mine into yours. It never works. It's too big. It's too big. And that's where some of you are. And I would encourage you continue to investigate, talk to the person who brought you here. If you want to talk with one of us on staff, we'd love to do that. Pray that prayer. God, I want to taste your goodness. I want to taste it and see how he reveals himself to you. For many of you, you've made a decision. You've embraced him as your cornerstone. But that actually becomes a daily thing for us. It's not a one-time deal. I'm not talking about in terms of broadly in terms of your salvation, but I'm talking about the cornerstone as that, that rock in your life that everything else is aligned to. I feel like that's a fight regularly. Our tendency, I think particularly as Americans, we wanna try to move Jesus. We wanna align him to us instead of us to him. Smallest stones in the temple are two to five tons. We found some, some are 160,000 pounds. You're not moving those rocks, but we try to move him. And that gets us all kinds of out of whack. We rationalize and we justify and we create exceptions. Well, I know you said to forgive 70 times seven, but you don't, you don't mean this. You don't mean her. I know you said it's that, that I, I shouldn't worry about tomorrow, but tomorrow, I got a lot of stuff going on tomorrow. It's easy for us. I know you say to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me, but not this time. We, we, we again, we, we try to move him. We try to, he's the, he's the living stone. And we're trying to, we try to move him to align with the way we're living our lives instead of aligning our life with him. And the cornerstone for us can become a stumbling stone. Think about your primary relationships. Are you loving the people in your life the way Jesus says to love them? Are you creating loopholes that say, well, actually, I don't have to do that this kind. They're actually pretty selfish. So it's okay for me to be selfish back. What about the way you're spending your time and your money? Are you aligning those things with how Jesus says to spend your time and your money? What about the way you're thinking about your career or your future? Are you thinking about those things the way Jesus says to? Or again, are you creating loopholes and justifications and rationalizations for why you don't need to do that? Then he's not the cornerstone for you anymore and he's going to be a stumbling stone. Again, we, we can't fit him into our lives. We fit our lives into him. He's not moving. And there's no reason for him to move. We're the ones that need to move to align ourselves with him. So I want us to take a few minutes as we close. If you're, willing, if you're not willing to do this, you don't have to. But if you are, I would love for you to close your eyes and pray this with me. It's a prayer that we pray a good bit from Psalm 139. Holy Spirit, would you search me and know me? Don't pray it unless you wanna know. But if you do, Holy Spirit, would you search me and know me? Show me where in my life I'm not aligned with the cornerstone. Let me see what comes to your mind. And if you're willing to repent, then, then do that. God, I confess that in this area of my life, 
I'm trying to align you to me instead of aligning me to you. And I pray that you would forgive me. And I pray that you would give me grace to embrace you, Jesus, as the cornerstone in that area of my life. And I acknowledge that's not easy for me to do or I would have already done it. So would you help me? Would you help me? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 